Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. I really mean that. It's uh, when we're doing music up here, it's hard to see you, but now I get to see all the faces and see your smiles. It's great to be with you again this morning. Um, you know, our, our pastor, senior pastor, had a procedure this morning. He was supposed to be here to preach through uh, still in Revelation, and uh, he couldn't make it, so he asked me to jump in Thursday. So I'm going to finish the whole book for you here in a couple of minutes. I don't think so. Um, my, if you don't know who I am, if you're a visitor here, my name is Mark Wells. I'm the uh, team lead on the worship team, and um, it's really an honor and a privilege to share with you guys. I, I love it. I really do love uh, getting to talk to my Sunday school class, getting to talk to you guys, not just sing, but to share God's word with you and what I'm learning. When Mitch asked me on Thursday, I said, wow, that's quick. I usually have weeks to, to think about what I'm going to talk about, and I said, you know what, uh, in our Sunday school class, we're in the book of Ephesians, and I don't want to say it's my favorite book in the Bible because there's a lot of, you know, people say that all the time, but it's becoming one of my top ten. I mean, it's, it is an amazing book, um, and Paul writes, and we're on lesson 13 out of 26, so we got a ways to go on the whole book. And so I thought I'd step back into that a little bit and, and talk about and bring up a, a message that's uh, really important to me, and I think you've heard before out of Ephesians chapter 2. Um, so we're going to jump into that a little bit. I apologize to my Sunday school class prior, and I said, y'all have heard this before, but that's okay. They gave me a little grace. Uh, let me just jump into this and tell you, let you know that I've, uh, in my early days, especially before I was married, I was really into movies. I, I loved movies, and I loved going to movies. And when Julie and I got married, we saw a lot of movies too, but uh, before we had kids. You parents of young ones know that that goes away for a while, right? All right. And uh, <laughs> there was a movie out in the back in the 19, early 90s called City Slickers. I don't know if you all remember that movie. It was hilarious. Billy Crystal plays a depressed, middle-aged man who's looking back on his life, and as he looks back on his life, he's depressed, and he's, he's I'm not going anywhere, my life's kind of in the pits, you know, and his son, who happens to be an um, elementary school uh, kid, asks his dad to come in for career day to talk to him about his career, and so they introduce his dad, and his son gets up and says, tell us what your dad does, and he says, uh, he's a, a nuclear submarine commander, <laughs> you know. And he looks at him and says, son, he goes, no, he sells, he works for the radio station. You know, <laughs> he's kind of depressed. And Billy Crystal and his character gets up there and he's upset because, you know, he's, his life is going nowhere. And he gets up to these fifth grade kids and he, he reads, he, he tells them this, he says this, he says, um, hey, value this time in your life, kids, because this is the time in your life when you still have choices. And it goes by so quickly. When you're a teenager, you think you can do anything, and you do. Your 20s are a blur, your 30s you raise a family and you make a little money and you think to yourself, what happened to my 20s? Your 40s, you grow a little pot belly and grow another chin. Your, uh, the music starts to get too loud and one of your old girlfriends from high school becomes a grandmother. <laughs> your 50s, you have a minor surgery. You call it a procedure, but it's a surgery. Your 60s, you have a major surgery. The music is still too loud, but it doesn't matter what because you can't hear it anyway. <laughs> your 70s, you and your wife retire to Fort Lauderdale and you start eating dinner at 2, lunch around 10, breakfast the night before. <laughs> and you spend most of your time wandering around the malls looking for the ultimate soft yogurt and muttering, how come the kids don't call? By your 80s, you've had a major stroke and you end up babbling to some nurse who your wife can't stand, but you call mama. <laughs> right. Any questions? Sometimes we look at life and we look back and we kind of go, you know, it just flies by so quick. And the question that I came up with this morning that I want to start our, our, our time with is, uh, the question is, is, how are you doing? 
as you look back on your life? How are you doing as you look at your marriages, um, your career, high school students, your schooling, uh, your college work if you're in college? Um, no matter what age, how are you doing is the question that really comes to mind. I'm really interested in people and how they're doing in life. And if you were to go back 10, 20, 30 years, maybe to your college days, and look at the most important parts of your life, um, your family, your job, your marriage, your kids, you would probably say that in some areas, this is probably not what I thought I would be doing, good and bad. I didn't think life was going to turn out like this, good and bad, right? You never thought that you'd live here in the city of Houston and the, the city of Katy. You never imagined that you'd be going around doing the kind of work that you might be doing right now. You're amazed that you have a wonderful family and a marriage or your marriage is struggling and you're, and you're, you're, you're excited about your finances or you're very depressed, you're very hurting because your finances aren't good. You never thought that you would have these medical issues in your life that you have now and the struggles that you have. You never considered that this blank, fill in the blank, uh, would be in my life. And we look at life and we kind of go, I just never imagined. But life kind of moves on, you know, and, and things happen. And the question I was thinking about is what causes us as people to make the decisions we do and to act on the way we do and, and to work and to do the things we do that cause our life to, to flow and to rotate like it does? And I thought about a couple answers. The first one is, is really family of origin, right? It plays a huge part on who we are and, and what your makeup is. And as much as you might try to push it back sometimes, our family of origin, how we were raised as kids, plays a huge part on how we act and how we treat people and how we raise our families. Another one may be regrets in your life or even worse, sins that uh, you've committed or people have committed towards you. The core truth is this. We all have a kind of a blank page, right? And um, the question is, what is our worth? And who wrote on your page? And what did they write? Or what did you write on your page? On that blank page. In Paul's assessment, I think in the book of Ephesians, he assesses the human condition and he says that we were dead because of our sin. We, we were just dead because of our sin. And, and the bad stuff and the regrets and the smudges on our canvas of life can mostly be attributed to our sin and the sin of others because at that time, who did we follow? The prince and power of the air, Ephesians 2.2. And because of those sins and what people did to us and what we did to others, all kinds of things have happened and, and our, 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 our page has got all smudged up, right? But this is the great thing about the book of Ephesians. The gospel in two words. When Paul says this, even though this is what you were like beforehand, but God. That's the gospel. But God. He says this in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 4 and 5. He says, but God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love he had for us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, brought us to life in Christ. What an amazing passage. This great physician has made us alive. We were dead and he made us alive. He has resurrected us from the dead and he's given us life. And he's brought us into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Peter says that he's our living hope, not our dead hope, our living hope. Even when we're dead in our sins. Because God is in the business of restoring shattered lives. So no matter what your canvas looked like or your page looked like, he restores shattered lives through one word. And that's the word we're going to look at this morning. And that word is this, the word grace, which is God's unmerited favor towards us. Grace. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work of you, in you 
will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Have you ever asked the question, what is that good work that God is doing in us? What's the work he's doing in your life? What, what's Paul mean by this good work that he's bringing to completion? Now, let me ask you this. Do you see in your life, do you see in your past, as you look back, do you see God's formation of his life in you? Do you see spiritual formation, spiritual growth in your life that leads you to believe you're alive in Jesus Christ? Because he brings dead things back to life. Uh, God's work in us is formed using this word that sometimes we so flippantly use, is, it's just the word grace. The unmerited, undeserved gift of God and his love towards us. People who were once his enemies. Now let me ask you this, why do you think the world holds on to, and sometimes many Christians, um, so much difficulty in understanding that word grace? I was talking to my class about this, and we were talking about the word grace and why people hold on to, to works versus a grace kind of love. And, and someone in the class said, the, the reason we, we have struggled with it, it's because of the word control. We all, we all want to control our lives. We want to control how we get to God. We want to control our goodness. We want to control how, how things go in our life. And grace dismantles that completely. We have some pilots in our congregation here, and I love flying. I, I, I do. Uh, not as much commercial, but I love flying. And I always thought that if I could ever have a wish come true, it'd be to hop. A flight on a fighter jet. Anybody else with me on that one? That would be awesome, right? I'd probably throw up everywhere, but I would love to do it, right? When Top Gun came out, I almost signed up. I almost signed up again, but they said, you're a little old right now. So I didn't. But I said, I want, being a pilot and flying is just the coolest thing in the world, you know? And I have, I have to admit, I have no idea how when I get on a plane at the airport and it flies across to some city, how all that weight and all those people and all that luggage get from one place to another. I have no clue. I mean, it just happens. Wouldn't it be stupid and idiotic if I landed in an airport and I said, hey, look what I did. No, I didn't do that. Some pilot who I didn't know, didn't trust, didn't believe in. He flew that plane, some plane that I didn't know how it operates, gets up and flies across the United States. I have no idea how that happens. It just happens, right? I know there's science behind it, but it's beyond my pay grade. Muhammad Ali once got on a plane and was about to take off, and he didn't put on his seatbelt. And the flight attendant came to him and noticed he didn't have a seatbelt on, and, and uh, he, she asked him to put it on. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The flight attendant looked at him and said, yeah, Superman don't need no plane either. Would you please fasten your seatbelt? Right? One author wrote this. It's a terrible and wonderful thing, this having to live by grace. Think about this for a second. Terrible because it requires us to face our deepest fears and deals, grace does, a death blow to our self-sufficiency. And it's wonderful because it frees us from having to perform to be loved. So we're going to look at this word grace today. Um, it's a fearful and wonderful thing because it's, it, it takes us totally out of our control. If I asked you what the greatest human emotion was, what would you say? Some of you might say joy. Some might say forgiveness. Some might say happiness or, or being satisfied. Those are all real good ones. But I thought, you know, one of the greatest uh, emotions, I think, is the word relief. 
Let me tell you what I mean by that. Relief from a terrible cold or a stomach flu or food poisoning or an illness. You get through that, you know. Relief when your child who is sick and is hurting gets well. A tremendous feeling that is. Relief when a horrible situation gets solved. Relief when positive changes occur in our lives resulting in resolving difficult issues. Oh, just a wonderful emotion of relief. And in order to experience that emotion, we must understand God's grace because he is the one who gives us relief from our past and present sins and our guilt. The toxic guilt that poisons us. So if you have a Bible or device, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. It's very familiar verses. We're going to read verse 8 through 10. We're going to unpack this a little bit. Let me read it for you. I'm going to put it on the screen if I got it working here. We do. Okay. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. I hope you have that memorized. That's an amazing passage of Scripture. Two theologies in the world. What are they? The first theology is this, self-elevation or self, uh, elevating ourselves to heaven or to please God by our works. All religions are going to fall into these two, right? That, that's the first one. Um, all our cults, all, a lot of denominations will fall into this. That It's by works, it's by our effort that we get... Uh, to heaven we please God. And let me tell you something, that is the greatest lie that Satan can ever inject into our society and into our minds, that we can get God's favor by our works, by what we do and, what, and, and we can please God. My personal tradition, how I grew up, was of that faith that said, you know what I have to do to get to heaven? I've got to please God by how good I am, right? So I've got to stop cussing, I've got to stop drinking. And once I do these things, God's going to be happy with me, and he might let me into heaven. So when I talk to people about this theology, and a lot of people who call themselves Christians still hold to this theology, here's the questions I ask them. How good do you have to be to get to heaven? How good? And they can't answer the question. I, I don't know. I just try to be a good person. And how many acts of goodness do you have to keep, quantity-wise? I mean, is it 10, 20, 150? How many do you have to keep to get to heaven? You can't answer the question. And I think, what a cruel and false God that they've created and they're trying to follow. How horrible that is to live under that. That I've got to be good. I don't know how good. And I have to have so many acts of service. I don't know how many. And maybe, maybe God will let me into heaven. Our Mormon friends who come to the door, Jehovah's Witness friends come to the door. It's great questions to ask them. How good do you have to be? How many acts of goodness before your God will let you in? To their heaven and see how they respond. Hey, the Protestant church hasn't done much better with it, right? I love driving through little towns and there's a neon sign out in front of a, a, a little church, right? And you're driving by and on it, it says, um, hey, sinners welcome here. I go, that's cool. You put it on a little sign, sinners are welcome at our church. But what they don't say in the fine print is this, as long as you're not too sinny. It's okay that you sin, and we'll take that, as long as it's not on our list of gross sins that we don't like. You see how even the Protestant church, our churches, we hold on to this. It's okay if you come here and you do the little sins, but you do the big sins we don't like. Uh-uh. It's the church, a hotel for saints, or a hospital for sinners. You think about that? How are you doing with the word grace? Let's find out. If you really want to know what you think about God and His grace, pay attention to your response towards Him when you mess up in an epic way. 
when you blow it, when you're embarrassed, when you're ashamed, when you're broken. What you do then reveals what you really think about God. If you run and hide, it means you really don't understand why Jesus came. He came because of your worst moment. And that is a very difficult concept for us to embrace. A with God life is about a spirit, it's not about a spiritual checklist, about, it's about a relationship. Life is not a spiritual balance between a, or a tightrope. Legalism takes a with God life and wants to create a, some kind of formula, right? I'm doing great on my test or I'm, I'm not doing good enough. Understanding God's grace, like we're supposed to, causes us, like the song we sang, to run to the Father, right? When things are epic and when we fail in a horrible way, you see what the prodigal son did? He ran to the Father. What did Adam and Eve do? They made for themselves vegetation on their own, and they ran away from the Father. They hid from the Father. And he says, come to me. I will cover your sin and walk and come to me. Right? One pastor said this, and I can't remember who said it, and I wrote it down. Well, there's another slide here. I want to skip past here. Uh, I think. Yeah. Morality as salvific is heretical and satanic. Think about that one. Morality as salvific, in order for you to be saved, is heretical and it's satanic. But yet we hold on to that. One author, uh, songwriter that I follow, a guy named Wayne Watson, he's an old guy like me now, he says this, his gaze always passes through rose-colored glasses. Every time he looks at my heart, and through love's forgiveness and purity's fire, I am my God's desire. Gotta hold on to that one, right? His gaze always passes through rose-colored glasses, the blood of Christ. Every time he looks on my heart, and through love's forgiveness and purity's fire, I am my God's desire. The second theology um, that comes out is this one. Backslide here. Let me move back to it. Uh, the first one is this: it's uh, faith plus work equals, equals salvation, and we got to see on a scale how well we're doing, right? The second one is below it, and that's this: faith equals salvation followed by works. That's what we live by. Faith, right, equals salvation. Placing our trust in Jesus Christ followed by works. One person said, "Jesus plus nothing equals." everything. It's bad math, but it's good math, right? Here's the deal. I sometimes think God died, Jesus died on the cross. He's up in heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and he looks down at me, and he says, Mark, your sin. I missed that one. <laughs> I didn't see it coming, you know, so I don't know if I died for that one. And sometimes I think he's up there going, you know, what are you doing? I, I didn't see that sin, Mark, but he says, no, my... You, my gaze is always passed through the blood of Jesus Christ. You are the desire of my heart. Jesus is not shocked by my sin. As believers, do we really trust in God's grace? Ephesians 1, 7, uh, 1, 7 through 8 says this, In him we have redemption by his blood, the forgiveness of, tr of transgressions, in according with the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us. He lavished his grace upon us. He, he poured it out upon us. That word we don't use much anymore, but he, pour, he just pours out his grace upon us and upon us. Augustine said, my heart is restless until I rest in you. God, I love that, right? 
I am just a restless being, and the only place I find rest is when I rest in Jesus Christ and his grace that he lavished upon us. As we continue on, he goes on in verse 10, and he says this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. This word um, in the Greek is actually the word poema. You know where we get the word poetry from it? Chuck Swindoll said this, We are God's poetry in motion. Is that good or what? You're his workmanship. You are his poetry in motion. Here's the deal. We, we start out with a blank page about who we are, thinking about our past, and who wrote on our page, and all that kind of thing. And, and, we, and we take that, embrace that. And sometimes we think, how can I be God's workmanship, right? Uh, look what's on my page. And look what's on the canvas of your life sometimes. You know, you, you got good things. You got great things that are going on in your life. But you also got very difficult things. You got sickness and illness. You got painful regrets. You got sin in your life. You got sickness and, and, and regrets and all kinds of things that kind of paste up your, your, your canvas. And sometimes it gets very difficult to look at our lives and say, are we really God's workmanship? This, my life doesn't look like that. Because we don't understand God's grace. We are his poetry in motion. He's at work in us, Paul says. He's working in our lives to make us more like him. So if you look at your life, here's the question. Would you like to change something about it? As you look at your canvas, would you like to just rearrange it a little bit? Take some of the smudges off? But I got to preface that with a question. I need you to look straight at me. Don't look at the person to your left and right. How hard is it for a person to, to change? Or how hard is it, let me ask you this, to, to change somebody else? Impossible almost impossible. Unless the other person wants to change, it's almost impossible to change another person. It's impossible to change your spouse. It's impossible to change your kids in a lot of ways because they're on a different canvas than you and I are. Different family of origin. Th different things are happening, right? And why is it, the question I have to ask is, why do we try to change everybody? Doesn't everybody have God's individual canvas? But no, you know, our marriage, we've got to try to make our spouse exactly like us because then we'll, we'll feel better about ourselves, right? Or we try to make our kids just like us, when they're raised, they're different. God gave them a different canvas to build on, and we as parents need to nurture that and build up their canvas the way God created them to be. That might be different than the way I think they should be living. I'm not talking about sinful stuff. I'm just talking about life issues, right? And here's the deal. Uh, we worry about everybody else, and hold on to this. When the real vehicle of change and the vehicle for change is you. What, is it, what does it take for you to change? you can't change anybody else, but you can change you. Many of us sometimes will put up the white flag and say, you look at your life, you kind of go, this is just the way it's going to be. You, you want to tap out because, it's, you know, I, I give up, right? This, this kind of thinking doesn't fully comprehend the grace of God because God's at work in your life. Um, so what can you do to replace the messages on your canvas that are not true of what God says of you? Ephesians 1 tells us 10 things that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. You need to read it and look at them. We sing a song about it. He's, he says, I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. Not who the world says I am. I am who you say I am. Galatians 5, for freedom's sake, this is an awesome verse, for, for, the, for freedom... 
Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Hey, guys, we are free in Jesus Christ. But look at this. We're still in jail. We got this jail up here, and we have anxieties and sexuality problems and shame and guilt and regrets and addictions and jealousy and fears. And Jesus Christ, through his grace, has opened the jail cell. It says, you are not in slavery anymore. You're not. Walk out in freedom. But no, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stay back here and live with my regrets and live with my old canvas. He says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Don't live as slaves anymore. Walk out of this prison. But yet we want to hang out there because it's comfortable. That's the old stuff we knew. And granted, it's scary walking out of there because now freedom is scary, right? Back in the uh, you know, 1800s and when we had slavery in our nation, and slaves were set free, and many of them stayed back because they were afraid. They, didn't, they were free. And it's scary out there, right? You've got to earn your own living. You've got to find a way for yourselves without condemnation, without punishment, without torture. You're free in Christ. And sometimes we want to stay back in slavery, right? And he says, you are free. Walk out of the jail cell. Walk out of the prison cell and live your life in freedom. Because why? There is grace that changes you. And let me talk about this. Here's the tension, though. Uh, you're willing to trust God with your eternal salvation. You've placed your trust in Him for your forgiveness of your sins. You've been forgiven, and you'll go to heaven when you die. But you're not willing to trust Him with your daily life. You trust Jesus enough to save your soul, but do you trust Him enough to lead you in your life, to walk from the prison cell? So think about this. How does grace manifests itself in a believer's life. Um, let me give you three ideas. The first one is the grace that saves you and forgives you. I came to Christ when I was 17 years old. I looked at my life. I was raised in a tradition that said he was a myth. He was a legend, but believe in him anyway. And it, I said, I don't believe in this kind of stuff. And somebody presented to me the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and your sins and your regrets and all of your stuff in your life. And... He loves you and he forgives you and he's pulling you from death to life. And you know what? All that legend and all that stuff that I've heard that said, yes, now it makes sense. That Jesus Christ died for me. Not just some big religion. He died for me. Absolutely. I'm going to put my trust in that. Right? You know what? To this day, I still haven't figured out what I've done. <laughs> you know? It's weird because it's, 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 it's hard to move from slavery to life to freedom. I want to stay in the jail cell. But he says, you are free in my son. Get out of here and, and live your life under grace. So that's one way grace changes us, right? Here's the second way grace changes us, from the inside out. What do I mean by that? Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may uh, discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Galatians 2, 20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, Right? And here's the deal. I don't have a problem understanding that I'm a sinner saved by grace. That's not an issue. I fully comprehend that I'm a, saved, I'm a sinner and I've been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. i got a, no issues with that. I, I can deal with that. I comprehend it. I apprehend it. Here's what I have a problem with. Believing that I'm forgiven and have become the righteousness of God. That's what I struggle with. Me? I'm the righteousness of God? 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him who 
who to be sin, who did not know sin, so that we might become, you and I, the righteousness of God in him. You and I are the righteousness of God. We are free in Christ. He has died for us. His blood has covered us. He looks at us through rose-colored glasses. So live your life under grace, and your life can change and live in freedom. Jason Gray in his song, uh, I Am New, says this. It's just a wonderful uh, songwriter who writes this, this verse. Forgiven, beloved, hidden in Christ, made in the image of the giver of life, righteous and holy, reborn and remade, get this, accepted and worthy, that is our new name. Have you ever looked at your life and said, because of my life in Christ, my name now is accepted and worthy to God because of his grace? So God wants to move upstream on us and to change us from the inside out, right? We start understanding his grace and his mercy. So we can change. We let God do that by yielding to him. The third way that grace changes us is it empowers us to change. Uh, grace is not magic. Let me throw one at you. Um, here's the problem. I, I know what God says is true. I just want something else to be true. Will we allow God, will you and I allow God to become our truth by humbling ourselves even if we don't fully understand what he's doing in our lives. Yielding to God. It's God through his grace in our lives who chisels away at the areas that we need to work on in our life. He, he, he's doing his work in us, right? Our responsibility to do that for that work is threefold. It's, it's work. It's involved, right? Because, you know, Piper says down here, grace does not re replace effort in the Christian life, but it empowers it. Dallas Willard says this, grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. Think about that. Grace is opposed to earning, but not effort. Grace doesn't negate our works. It empowers them. So grace changes us from the inside out. But we have to do the hard work. We have to yield to God and yield to who he is and do some work. How do we do that? I'll give you three ideas here. First of all, have vision. Um, what is your vision for your life? What do you want it to look like? If things are going to change, how would you like it to be? And to think and start doing some work in that area. Secondly, what's your intent? How do you want to change things? What do you want it to look like? What's your intention on how to change your life? And thirdly, what strategy do you have to do something different and new in order to see the changes that you desire, to see what Jesus does in your life and how he's working in you? There's only two options on the table. One, what Jesus says is true, and we're to lean into that heavily and hold on to that. Or what he says is a lie, and we're on our own. There is no hope. So just go for it. Survive on your own. Do what you got to do. So let me ask you a couple challenging questions here, then I want to show you something. What's on your canvas? Are you willing and open to that canvas being changed? And um, I think the painter or the poet's not done if you'll yield yourself, to, yield yourself to him. What if God is not done with you yet? And what if he wants to change you and do something in your life that you never thought possible? Does that give you some hope? My life can change and I can be free in Christ. I want to show you a video here. It's going to take about nine minutes, and so bear with me here. And uh, I love this video. I've seen it for years, and I've used it uh, with, with our youth group years ago, and I've used it uh, in my Sunday school class. And uh, it's going to illustrate just what we've been talking about. So give me a few minutes here, and I'll come back and close this up. So guys, when we're ready to go, hit it. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are God's workmanship, that we're 
in essence, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't see a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a, a Picasso, you know? But I want to be a masterpiece. I want to be everything that God has created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, God, do whatever it takes to, to get things out of my life that don't need to be there. Mold me into the image of your son so that I can be your masterpiece. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. <laughs> no, you're not. Yeah, yeah, you just said the prayer, so here I am. That's how it works. Oh, okay, okay. Um, if you're God, then make it snow in here. You know, if I made it snow in here, it'd get kind of yucky, and I really don't want to do that. See, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. Yes, I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. If you're God, what does Lamentations 15:9 say? Lamentations is a very short book. It only has five chapters. Why is it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Uh, if you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? You know what? I'm not so much into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. I gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <laughs> yep, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. <laughs> Step right up. Here we go. Okay. okay. All right. Hey, yeah. um, what's this about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Oh, okay. All right. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Here we go. Step okay. right up. Here we go. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. whoa. How do you know what to chisel and what to leave? I take out all the things in your life that aren't out of me, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of that, did you chisel right in here? I just can't get rid of it. I mean, the other went away, but this, I mean, I've tried exercising, I've watched what I ate, I even did Pilates for a while, that was awkward. But if you can chisel, all I mean, right. Can I talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, talk, chisel. No, talk. no, 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 chisel. All right, most of my children just like to talk. Not me. Bring on the chisel. Here we go. All right. You have a lot of anger. Ow. Some pride. Ow. You compare yourself to others instead of me. Ow. You're lazy. <clears throat> but you pretend like you're really, really busy. You have a problem with lust. Okay. <laughs> time out. <laughs> I do not have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Um. Maybe, maybe we could take a little time out. I mean, I think I'm doing pretty good. You are doing good, but when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away because ultimately you and others need to see my son. Here we go. Okay, hold on, hold on. Um, don't take this the wrong way. It's just that when I start looking more like your son, um, people get uncomfortable around me, you know? I mean, even my friends at church, they're all like, oh, you're holier than thou. Why would you do that, you know? I mean, so what gonna... you're doing right now is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. I did not say that. That's what you meant. Yes, it is. It's hard to talk to you. I mean, you know everything I'm thinking. I'm just saying, you've done good work. Maybe we take a little break, a little time out, and we'll come back to right. it. What you're doing right now is so common. What you're doing right now is called control. Do you want to control things in your life, or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control. No, no, chisel. chisel. No, can, can we chisel where I want that? It's called control. Okay. You've been holding on to this for a long time. You ready for this? Yeah. <clears throat> it hurts. This hurts me more than it hurts you. Right. Ow! I don't think you understand this pain. Don't talk to me about pain. I know all about pain. I sent my son to die on the cross for pain, for sin, but I also did it for another reason, to give you freedom. Do you know what insanity is? Insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again. 
expecting different results. And there are the things in your life, you even think back to high school that you've been doing that do not work in your life, but you go to these empty wells whenever you're hurting, whenever you're angry, whenever you're lonely and tired, but they do not work. No, no, okay, okay. Um, I'm thinking maybe Your we could... Your thoughts are not my thoughts. Oh, okay, but if we went another way... Your we ways could... are not my ways. Okay, well, look, I can't be good. You can't be good. I've made you good. Be good. Uh, uh, what? Nothing. What is it? You wouldn't understand. I, God of all the universe, wouldn't understand something one of my children has to say. Try me. It's just... God, I've let you down so many times. No. You were never holding me up. I hold you up with my victorious, righteous right hand, and don't you forget that. In this relationship, I hold you up. Okay. Chisel away. All right. Just... Just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. Because I know who's inside there. Because God, I get up every morning and I look at him in the mirror. And it is this, this scared little kid who gets up every day and tries to dress like an adult and act like an adult, but I can't. So just be prepared for what you're going to find in there. You have listened to so many voices for far too long that are not of me. You think you're junk, don't you? You really, really, really think you're junk. Listen to me. I don't make junk. What does that say about me? How can I show you that my love for you has no boundaries? I know. Reach in your back pocket. What? Reach in your back pocket. Why? Are you arguing with me? Reach in your back pocket. God. Yes? I was just saying, God, I'll do that right now. You were just saying my name in vain. You know what? It, it's, it's a name. It's a saying. It's, it's more it's than a name. It's more than a saying. It's more than a bad habit. It's a name above all names. I want to teach you something about my name. Reach in your back pocket. You know what that is? This is a page from, from a journal I had when I was younger. How'd you get this? Hello? Oh, yeah. Go ahead, read it. I love Angie Holland. Other side. Sorry. I married her. I was there. Oh, oh yeah. Dear God, today I am turning everything over to you. I'm not going to hold on to anything anymore. Your word says that you will make me your masterpiece and use me to do great things. I don't see how that's possible. But I want that with all that I am. So please do whatever it takes to make me what you want. I love you, God. I love you too, Tommy. And I love you too much just to leave you where you're at. So this salvation that you hold, don't let it be some sentimental gush or some head knowledge. I want you to work it out every detail of your life. And don't compare yourself to someone else because that is just trivial nonsense. You are my original masterpiece. You are one of my workmanship and you I find favor. This, don't look at this as a prison, but look at this as a, 
A father disciplines his child. A father disciplines the ones he loves. I know, but it's going to be tough. Yes, it'll be tough. But you bought into the lie thinking everything was going to be easy when you said yes to me. It's not how it works. I want you to do something. I want you to look up there and I want you to say, Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Tommy. No, 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 no. The way you see yourself or you yearn so much for others to see you. The way I see you. Tommy is God's original masterpiece. Yes, you are. And so are you. God doesn't make junk. You are an original masterpiece. In a movie, uh, <clears throat> Bob Williams played in called Dead Poet Society. He plays a college professor teaching poetry and he looks at his students and he says uh, the powerful play goes on and you can contribute a verse what will your verse be someone once said the Lord can chisel his image on our flawed lives and make us beautiful and useful to him and to others by his grace we are saved and that's wonderful and as Chuck Swindoll said we are his poetry in motion He hasn't given up on you. You want to change. Grace is there for you. Grace that saves you. Grace that empowers you. Grace that causes you to change from the inside out. It's all available to you. You've got to walk from the prison cell. Because you know what? We are just, just um, high school kids that put on adult clothing, right? We've still got the same stuff on our canvas, the same pains. And I think God calls us to freedom. When I ask you, how are you doing, I really mean that. Because God has plans for you. And no matter what age you're at, at my age, I look back and I say, God, am I done? And I think he's still got plans for me, and he's got plans for you. And if you're in high school, if you're in junior high, he's got plans for you. Really. Do you want to jump into that? I do. I do. Let me pray for us. Father, thank that you've given us the grace to save us. If, um, if you're here today and, and you don't understand this grace, that you've been living your life by works, it's simply, listen to me, if you keep your, your heads bowed, and it's simply by placing your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. By confessing to him that, yeah, you are broken and you have sin in your life, and turning to him and saying, Jesus, I place my trust in you for your salvation. Help me to live free in Christ and ask him to be a part of your life and he will we are saved by grace but we're also saved because saved is not just one time it's, it's a lifelong event we are saved by your grace Lord Jesus that works inside of us that causes us to change that chisels away so today all we can do Lord Jesus is yield ourselves to you and it's going to hurt a little bit because we're holding on to so much pain and hurt and jealousies and sin and things that we won't release but you want to chisel us free from all that stuff so today by your grace help us to have vision and have intent and have a strategy to move forward in our lives to move from the prison cell out into freedom and to live in your son Jesus Christ for by your grace we are saved and you have made us 
the poetry of God. We are his workmanship. We are not junk. So I pray for my friends here today, Father, that they may see that, that I may see that, because I still deal with it. Thanks for this time to worship you. Help us to run to you when our sin gets great. Never neglect the God who looks at us through rose-colored glasses. It's in your name we do pray, and we thank you. Amen.